Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery and addiction topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The views expressed here are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. back to recovery sort of it's jason i'm a guy in long-term recovery and i'm here always with billy hey listeners i'm also a person in long-term recovery and uh we're just here on a sunday morning or whenever it happens to be that you're listening to it we're, we're thinking we're going to talk about relationships today uh and i don't know exactly what form that takes with i think the original idea is romantic love relationships uh but uh, relationships kind of stems to any and everything in our lives, uh, how we relate to people, how we relate to things. I, I think we're going to title this with the disclaimer part one at the end, because there will probably be 486 million parts of a podcast on relationships. I can't imagine how you could discuss it all in an hour and a half or, you know, 484 hours <laughs> and a half, honestly. Um, so just to just to start off a little bit. I think uh, where we at least want to begin with this is the idea that we get into relationships with the intent to, you know, be more fulfilled somehow. Um, and, and a lot of times that looks in the way we talk, we say this person's, you know, my other half or my better half. Sometimes we say, so we're only half of the equation um, or we, we meet our soulmate or our true love and they're supposed to like complete us, right? That whole idea of you complete me. Um, and so I think we, we can go into these relationships feeling like we're missing part of something, like part of ourselves. Uh, and, and that might be, you know, the void we feel. Maybe that's why we use drugs. We felt a void, an emptiness, a, a longing for something more. And we use to, to fill that void. And I, I think at least for people in recovery and maybe for others in, in life and, and the earthlings and everybody else, we tend to look at relationships as the same kind of thing as a drug almost, or it fills us up. It, it takes us somewhere. And then somehow it's going to complete us. It's going to make us whole. It's going to make us solid. And the idea that I had, I had come across this week was that we're actually less ourselves in a relationship because what happens is we get with this person it feels good. It's happy. It's new. There's novelty going on. There's all this <clears throat> excitement about this new prospect of hope that we're going to be, you know, a whole again. And then after we get into it, we start liking it. And then we start getting scared that we might not be able to hold on to it. Right. And this is where some of maybe our insecurity pops out uh, and we, we start being a little more jealous, maybe control issues come out, all these kind of things we talk about sometimes in, in recovery that we, we don't get in relationships, we take hostages, like that can be the extremes of this. Um, but what happens is we start to change who we really are because we don't want to upset the person into leaving, right? And so now I'm being something that's not quite authentic to my true self in order to keep my partner here so that I can continue to feel whole. 
And yet, by not being my authentic self, I'm getting further away from being whole, right? I'm being less of myself than I was before I even got into this relationship. And I just thought that was a really incredible concept. Like I've all, I've known for a long time that that relationships aren't going to make us whole and that like I need to come in fulfilled and happy. And what am I bringing to this? Not what can I get out of it? But just the way it was explained really kind of blew my mind a little bit. Yeah. And I would say a lot of that has to do with, you know, healthier relationships versus maybe not so healthy relationships. Um, Obviously, when you have a any kind of romantic relationship involves two people and, you know, to have a really good uh, relationship takes two uh, committed, healthy people if you want it to be true. You know, if if both partners aren't honest, if both partners aren't intimate, if both partners aren't sincere in their efforts, um, a lot of times one person can't carry it and make it healthy. So I think in a healthy relationship, in what I would consider the ideal healthy relationship, um, partners would compliment each other, that your partner would help to bring out the best in you, that they would encourage you, you know, quite frankly, you know, I know my wife helps me a lot of times. She'll challenge me on some thinking and ideas that she shares with me that a lot of times in the moment I'm defensive or confrontational about, you know, because I'm defensive of my beliefs and opinions. Um, But if I really can kind of get out of that moment of the discussion or argument and sit back and think about it, I'm more open-minded and can make me a better person. Um, That's not always true. But so I don't know, would that mean that I am not being my authentic self or am I just being open to change? Um, Hmm. In our relationship, I value and uh, respect her opinion a lot. So I tend to be a little more open to listen to her versus certain people would give me their opinion. I would just dismiss it, blow it off right away. (laughs) My ego would be like, well, I'm smarter than you, so I don't really care. Uh, you're, you're fucking killing me now. Uh, my wife's going to listen to this and probably divorce me. Um, now I'm sitting here thinking and I'm like, I I don't, my first thought when you said, you know, we would hope that our partner brings out the best in us. And I was like, "Ah, she's not working hard enough to bring out the best in me. Right. (laughs) She brings out the worst in me. Uh, but then I, I really turned this around within seconds in my brain and I'm like, why don't I know how to bring out the best in her? Right. That's not something I'm very good at in my relationship. And I I like to think I have a somewhat healthy relationship. It's decent. Right. It's I mean, I'm pretty happy in it. Um, And we have a lot of happier times than we do, you know, not so great times. But I, I just I don't think I do that well at bringing out the best in her. And I'm not sure she does the opposite either. And And she will tell you if you ask her that. I give a lot more respect to some other people's thoughts in my life. Like when they say something, I'm like, oh, I need to really think about that. And then when she says it, I'm like, that's fucking dumb, right? I don't want to be that way, but sometimes I, I definitely can be. So my my wife would probably say the same thing. <laughs> I'm sure she feels that way. Okay. Because a lot of times, it, again, in the moment, you know, I will strongly defend or sort of, you know, come back with my rebuttals to why what she's saying, I don't know if I agree with or I don't know. And I try to explain this to her. For me personally, that's part of my thinking process on things. Like I like to kind of 
sit and kind of think through things sometimes. Like I want to think about what are the negatives? What are the positives? What are the good? What are the bad? Like the polar opposite of what's going on in politics these days, (laughs) you know, like I like Mm. to think, is this, you know, is this have some merit or does it not have merit? And, you know, I, I try to think through and what are the, what are the assets of it? Um, So sometimes in the moment I'm, held steadfast to what my belief was up until that moment. But once she gives me a different perspective or a different point of view or a different opinion, I got to kind of mull that over a little bit and think about it. Um, The other thing that was interesting. So uh, when my wife and I got married, we did get married in a Christian church. Uh, We had to do the typical, you go sit down, meet with the pastor, talk Mm -hmm. to him. Um, He actually was someone that we knew personally. Um, You know, he wasn't just a pastor at a church that we didn't know. We knew him personally. Um, as sort of in, in religious context and outside of religious context. So it was interesting. Um, and one of the, I guess you call it lessons or skill things he had us do was we went into his office and he said, sit down and write down, you know, five things, your five top values that you want in a marriage and rate them and write a little bit about what they look like to you. Right. And so we did that, you know, I wrote down my five things and she wrote down her five things and we put them in an order and we wrote kind of what each one looked like, what that would, what we would see that looking like in our marriage, how our partners could fulfill that. And then he said, okay, take those lists and flip flop them. Like he said, you know, you give your list to her, she gives her list to you. And without even talking about it, he said, that's your job on how you become a perfect husband to your wife. Hmm. You know, it wasn't a discussion about mine being right or hers being right or what agreed with what or whose values were better. None of that mattered. The point was she had written down and told me exactly what she needed in a spouse, exactly what she was looking for. And he had mentioned that not everyone's the same. Like every woman doesn't come in and write down the same five things. And every man doesn't come in and write down the same five things. So there's not this uh, generic recipe on, you know, even though every magazine, women's magazine in the world will tell you there is, there's not this generic recipe for this will make a happy marriage. This will make things great. Obviously, most of them are built on certain principles of honesty, trust, commitment, love, you know, passion, those kind of things. Not murdering each other. Right. But those are just (laughs) ingredients to go into the pie. They're not, you know, you can't just do these things. And uh, to be quite honest, I fall into that a lot. I I have decided what makes a good husband. I ignore Mm. the list that she gave me. I decide what I think makes a good husband. And then I just do the things that I think a good husband needs to do. Do you still have the list? Uh, Well, I did all the way up until <laughs> two years ago. So, and this isn't even my fault. I actually carried that list in my wallet uh, for 16 years, 15 years, however long it was. And when we were traveling around the country, when we were down in Florida, my wallet got stolen and I lost it. And at so no I point, had that list in my wallet. At no point time. with your smartphone, did you take a picture of it? I don't think that I ever did. I had pulled the list out times over the year. So I had in my wallet, I kept, there was two things that I carried with me, you know, from recovery. One of them was my very first little blue phone book. So in our fellowship, and they didn't just give you one when I first got clean, they gave you the little phone book and said, here, go out and get some phone numbers. Right. And so that's what I did. I got my little phone book and I went around and asked people, Hey, can I get your number? Hey, can I get your number? And I wrote the numbers down in my book. 
And what was funny, this gets a little off topic, but what was funny is over the years, I would go back through the book and for like people that had like relapsed or whatever, I would like X their name out because <laughs> I didn't want to call them, you know, which now I think is kind of mean, but you know, right. that's, that's what I would do. I would X their name out. So I'd have these names in there and it would be Xed out and different names. That and, almost reminds me of like a movie where the serial killer has like the list of people he's going to take <laughs> out and he Xs them off as he accomplishes yeah. it. So anyway, in my wallet, I had that phone book, but I also had that list and I would have occasionally pull it out and kind of look at it and right. get a little warm feeling in my heart, you know, cause it was important to me. So I did lose it, not to my own, you know, whatever. I didn't just chuck it aside. <laughs> just a, a quick other thing to take us off topic. I did see our little blue phone books one time. We purchased them for our home group and they were like this creamish tan color. Oh. And I fucking loved it just to see something different for a minute. And it was only one time. And then they disappeared off the face of the earth like it never happened. And yeah. I had to wonder if I was nuts. And I was like, why? I like to change yeah. it. Um, but back to the what you were just talking about. So that reminds me a lot of the idea of like the languages of love or that, you know, men are from Mars, women are from Venus, or just the idea that basically we are raised with our own idea of how we're able to receive affection and connection and other people are raised with theirs from their parents. And when we're trying to give it in a way other people can't receive, that's not useful, right? They just can't get it. It's interesting. It kind of, I just got a couple uh, in, in therapy, right? For the first time. And so I'm like, oh my God, I get to do couples therapy. It sounds exciting, right? Especially because I don't know what the fuck I'm doing in my own marriage. Um, but we have like a, a particular couples therapist at the location I'm at and she's really good and knows a lot. So I've been asking her a lot of questions and basically she calls it like stuck points where it's one partner is trying to receive uh, affection or love or, or validation in the sense uh, that she like chases down her husband when, you know, he's not um, engaging with her. And so she'll just keep going and asking him, are we okay? What's wrong? Why can't we fix this? And won't let it go. And like what he needs is space. So he can't possibly give her exactly what she's looking for right then. And he needs love in a different way, right? Where, where she like kind of leads him to have his space and do his things. And, but we don't see it. And when we're not aware of what the other person's looking for, it just feels like badgering and nagging and annoying the fuck out of me and all these other things where like when we're able to sit back and say, oh, that's how they need to be reassured. And all I need to do is say, hey, I'm just frustrated right now. Let's talk about it in the morning. And it's all okay between everybody. Like, it's just right. those little things, right? And so I think that's a great idea. And anybody who's listening that's having relationship troubles, go ahead and make your list and have your partner make their list <laughs> and trade list. And there you go. That's, that's how yeah. you be a good partner. <laughs> um, also in, you know, these romantic relationships, like they do, you know, kind of take some work and effort sometimes. Mm. I know my wife gets upset when I say this a lot of times, but. For me, just being this like romantic and, and you know, intimate, oh, let's, you know, throw away all our responsibilities and lay in bed all night and, you know, watch movies or, you know, snuggle up and, and do that stuff. Like, for whatever reason, like, that's just not my nature. Um, it's not, it, those things don't come naturally to me. And that's a part of what she needs. So I try to really incorporate that in, you know, it's like, it's my job to provide her with her needs, not just expect that, 
you know, well, I don't have that need, so that's not good for me. <laughs> and uh, I, I mean, she would be sure to tell you, I'm sure that I fall short a lot. Um, but I think paying attention to what your partner's asking for is really critical, you know, in, in keeping happiness. I mean, again, it's easy for me to fall into this pattern. So one of the things I've been struggling with lately, and uh, I see it, you know, in my with my intimate relationship with my wife and with my kids is I tend to invest a lot of emotional energy into things that don't deserve that emotional energy. And then by the time I get home, I don't have any more to give because I'm emotionally burnt out. Right. And so when my wife or the kids ask for some kind of emotional energy, I'm like, what the fuck? You know, aren't I doing enough? Isn't this good mm. enough? Aren't you getting enough from me already? You need fucking more. Right. And I get resentful and angry. And the truth is, you know, that's a pattern I've fallen into over the years. And the things that typically get a lot of my energy are things that I don't want to say they're not important, um, but they don't need as much emotional input as I put into them. You know, one of them is my job. I tend to put a lot of like my personal emotional uh, energy into work. And I think that I can withdraw some of that energy and still be just as valuable and productive and, and all that things at work. Um, and then in like side projects or other things that are working on, um, one of my character defects, I would say, since I've gone through recovery process, one of my character defects that I've become aware of is that I tend to really want validation from people that aren't close to me. It's like, I feel like the people that know me well already love me, but people that I don't know that well, I really need their validation to make hmm. sure that I'm okay. Um, is this like, is, and I'm asking for clarification. Like mm -hmm. I know before for sure, and probably still some today, I would go into a room full of 10 people. And if nine of them already liked me, I'm good with them, but I need that 10 person to like, give me some kind of validation. Is it tied into that a little bit? Or, or this is just you need people that you feel are not close to you and won't lie to you or be misguided by their care for you? What do either of those resonate? Um, I mean, if I had to pick out of the two, probably more the first one than the second. Okay. But like, I'll give you an example. So like at work, I deal with like customer relations stuff mm -hmm. and we have situations where it's a, it's a, like, a, I'll call it a no win situation. You know, we go out to, we work on heaters. We go out to work on someone's heater. The guy goes out to work on it. When our guy goes out, it's completely fine. Nothing's going wrong, but they say it's making some crazy noise. Well, he goes out there, he spends an hour working on the heater. It's not making a noise when he's there. He doesn't hear anything. So he doesn't really do anything. He doesn't find anything wrong. They still have to pay us. Well, they're mad because they think, well, you didn't do anything. You know what I mean? But right. at the same time, you know, well, he went there and we used tools and equipment and we sent a guy and he needs to get paid and it's expensive to go check that stuff out. So there's a, it's like a no win situation. It's not good for anybody. Um, I will really get caught up in the emotion of like, well, what are these gonna, people going to think about us? What are, mm. you know, what are they going to think about me? Because it's my responsibility to sort of make this right. And how do we, how do we do this so that they're not, you know, quote unquote, mad at me? Um, that sort of thing. So, yeah, that's tough. Yeah, and and I just instead of sort of kind of stepping back and explaining the situation just without all the emotional ties to it and saying, hey, look, this is 
what happened, you know, and I'm sorry, it's an unfortunate right. situation, but we do, it does cost money to have a guy come out to your home and check your equipment. And the fact that it wasn't doing what you said it was doing when he was there isn't anyone's fault, but we still have to get paid. Right. But I can't, I, I tend to not be able to do that without a whole bunch of emotional angst in that conversation. Mm. Like I get so emotionally charged or whatever you want right, to call it right. that it gets uncomfortable. And so I'll go through that, especially when we get busy. I might go through that two or three times in a day, you know, or five or six times in a week and whatever other complaints people have. Some of them are their own ridiculous nonsense. The other night, some lady got mad about something stupid. And it wasn't even our fault. It was her own. If you want to look at faults, it was her own. She didn't know how her stuff worked. Right. And so we went out and explained to her how her stuff worked. And then she didn't think she should have to pay us because there was nothing wrong. <laughs> you know, that was and I don't know how to say, well, that's, you know, why would you call someone, ask them to come out to your house for service and then not expect to have to pay them? Like, that seems crazy to me, but it didn't matter. That That's not the point. The point is she was upset she had to pay us. And I was really upset and it emotionally bothered me that she was upset, even though she was wrong. The fact that she was emotionally upset, I felt like that was my fault and that right. I didn't do something right. And that, you know, I was bothered that she was mad at me or whatever. It's like weird, you know, it's unhealthy, no, <laughs> like, no, yeah. and, but I, you know, I go through that and then I go home to my wife and be like, don't fucking ask me for any emotional shit. I've been stressed <laughs> out all day. My emotions are spent. I totally get it. I can I can relate a lot on the sense that I struggle when people are unhappy with me. Mm. Right. I don't know that necessarily I need their validation. I've never really looked at it that way. I guess that is the truth, too, because I need them to like me. Right. That's the point. But, yeah, when people are not happy with me or with something I did, I struggle with that a big time. And I, I've gotten better. Right. And it's something I'm actually working on right now in myself is just to be okay with the fact that like my choices are not going to make people happy. Even if I make the right fucking choice, <laughs> right. right? Like even if I do the right. best thing for me and my family and the best choice in the situation, people are still going to be upset with that at times. And I just got to be all right with it. Um, to, to steer us back a little bit more to the relationship topic. I, somewhere in there, you were mentioning, um, becoming more aware uh, of what the other person needs. I can't remember specifically, but what it came up for me was thinking that during this process of relationships and recovery and looking at myself, I've also been able to come a little bit more to terms with my own stuff, right? So through repetition, I can see where the things I ask for have a theme, right? I frequently find myself saying to my, my wife, uh, you don't consider me. You don't take me into, you know, you're not thoughtful. Well, it started with you're inconsiderate, you're unthoughtful, <laughs> right? All these you statements, but then it, it maybe molded a little into uh, you don't think of me when I'm not around, right? You don't consider me in your equation when you're making decisions. And maybe there's some of that, right? Maybe, maybe that's true to some extent, but I've also realized in looking at that and how frequently I say it and the ways I say it, and maybe looking at the fact of, do I do this in return? Right. It's a little un unfathomable how often I want to be considered and thought of almost in every goddamn <laughs> way. Right. Oh my God. You, you, uh, you went to the grocery store and you didn't think I might need something like I stop at fucking stores all the time. And don't ask nobody shit. Right. right. So 
what is that about me is what I got to look at. And, and through that relationship process, I'm able to see that like there is something about me that maybe doesn't it, who feels forgotten about. Right. Mm -hmm. And and that's what hurts me. I I don't like when friends go out and hang out and don't think to invite me out or or when they have a second friend besides me, like that can hurt my feelings. And like, I just want to be important is what I've learned through all that. And there's certain things that I feel importance through, which is being considered. Right. Oh, you Mm -hmm. stopped at, at, you know, a fast food place. Did you pick me up food? God, I feel so loved right now. Um, And that's my you know way to feel loved is to be thought of. And. We are so in our situation, it's the opposite way around. I'm the I'm the unthoughtful <laughs> one. And I, I will justify it by saying I don't expect that with mm. her. You know what I mean? Like if she's out today and running around and she stops and goes to lunch at McDonald's, like I don't think, oh well, you should have brought me something or you should have called and thought I'm like, no, you're out getting food for yourself that's what you do you know like that right. because that's what i do you know what i mean i'm out i want something to eat i stop i get something to eat i don't think to call home and check in with her and the kids and she but she appreciates that or and i can tell you know i'll say oh yeah i stopped and got something to eat at mcdonald's before i came home oh you didn't think to call us I'm like no i <laughs> Just hungry, you know. I, you know. Oh, if you did, you right. need something. If you'd have called and asked me for something while I was out, I would have got you something. I never mind doing that, but that, you know, I guess you that being thought of is something that I fall short on. It's a lot. It's <laughs> tricky, right? So a one lot. of the ways I do it well is when I am asked to go to a meeting or or asked to make a plan with somebody. I'm pretty good at putting it in our shared calendar on our phones. And then also messaging her and saying, hey, I was thinking about doing this this day, this time. Does that interfere with anything for you? Right. That's one of those things that I've become accustomed to. I'm not perfect at it. I don't do it every time, but I'm pretty good with it. And I consider that very thoughtful and and loving. Like, hey, no, you're not my owner, but like I'm trying to respect you. And, and what else do you have going on? Does this interfere with it? Right. Now, my wife is the person who will never say no to anything, even if it's the worst possible fucking thing I could be doing at that time. She could need my help and be going into surgery and she'll be like, no, it's fine. I'll figure out like this martyr type or something. And so it doesn't really work well for us to any result, but I'll use that and I'll say this is what I do. But she does not do that very frequently in return, right? She makes plans all the time, doesn't even mention them to me. It comes up. I'm like, what the fuck? Why aren't you home from work yet? She's like, oh, I'm having a beer with my coworkers. And I'm like, why couldn't you just tell me that? Right? Like, I don't give a fuck. She's not one of us, by the way. She's an earthling. She's welcome to have a beer if she wants yeah, it. Right. Um, and it just really bothers me. Right. And I, I, But I've had to learn that some of that is mine because I'm, I'm not, I don't live this. I think of everyone perfectly all the time right. at all. Right. When we go to Starbucks, when we're out with me, my wife and my kids, I'm like, fuck them kids. They ain't getting $4 drinks. I'm here (laughs) for a $2 coffee, right? (laughs) Right. I'm not spending $28 because I want a $2 coffee. This is for me. (laughs) Right, right. So it's it's very iffy on where I stand on it. But I I, just the realization that through that process, I can turn it and look at myself, right? That's a healthy thing, I think, in a relationship is instead of, you know, pointing the finger at my partner about what they're not doing. And not to say that they couldn't do a little better in that area. But let me look at myself and what it is that I'm really looking for out of this relationship. Like, what am I feeling like I'm missing that makes me feel this way? And then maybe I can have a better conversation with them instead of you unthoughtful bitch, which is where I started at. Right. Right. I needed to gain some insight. 
Yeah. And interestingly enough, I was sitting here thinking about, you know, as you say, kind of losing yourself in a relationship. And uh, so my wife had called me the other day and asked me, she was asked to share at a, a recovery event going on on February 2nd at 7 p.m. in Annapolis. And she just called and said, hey, I was asked to come share at this event at, you know, on February 2nd, do you want to go with me? We'll go down for the day, we'll get food, and we'll go to the meeting and all that. I said, yeah, sure, you know, it'll be fun. And then I didn't look at a calendar, and when I looked at the calendar, I realized, oh, shit, February 2nd is actually the Super Bowl day. And I am a big sports fan, you know, I really like sports. Um, I love football. I've watched all season, paid attention all the way through the playoffs. I know all the teams, you know, and, and I really want to watch the Super Bowl. Right. But there, you know, here I'm torn because I told her I would do this thing and I made this commitment, you know, and I want her to feel loved and supported and I don't want to back out on her. And so I fall into this place where I feel like this is some sort of quote unquote love test, you know, like. <laughs> Like, where is my love really? You know, is my love really for my wife? Is she really more important than the Super Bowl? Um, And that's fucking hard. (laughs) Because obviously I would say, well, yeah, she's more important. But this is speaking at a meeting. I've heard her speak a hundred times, if not more. Literally. Uh, Yeah, literally (laughs) a hundred times, if not more. And yes, it would be great to go out to dinner. But on this one particular day, there is this one particular event that's going on. Right. But in fairness to her, she would tell you with the amount of sports that I watch and the different sports that I enjoy, there is almost always, oh, this week is this championship. <laughs> this week is this playoffs. This right. week is this big fight coming up that, you know, is a once in a lifetime, you know, boxing match or UFC event or whatever. Like, on a lot of almost every weekend, there's some big sports thing that's important. So it's a common theme. And I find myself in this situation. And it's just, you know, how do I keep true to myself and still mm. be a good, loving, supportive husband? And can I do both of those things at the same time? That is a good question. So let's think about it for a second. We'll uh, play this ad for Voices of Hope, and then we'll, we'll come right back and talk about it. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. All right, we're back, and... uh I'm ready to relationship advise this most important of topics. No, actually, I have no fucking idea, honestly. So, uh, yeah, in the grand scheme of things, is my wife more important than any sporting event that I could possibly watch? Of course, right? Uh, My family is important to me. I do love my wife. Um, But that being said, of all the sporting events, and I get the the case you're making, right, that there could be something every weekend. There really could be. I, I don't quite watch as many sports as that i'm not that into a whole lot of stuff most of it is man i can take it or leave it football is my thing right the super bowl the culmination of the entire season of football is definitely my thing and the fact that you add into it that it's just a, a pop culture event at this point yeah. with all the commercials and the halftime show 
and, and I'm sold on this is definitely if there is a one big thing all year long, this is the motherfucking one, right? There's no doubt in my mind that if I get to pick one, it's this one and nothing's happening on that night. Um, but I, I don't know, right? I I skipped some of the playoffs after after the Ravens got knocked out. It just wasn't that huge or important anymore, right? I've missed games throughout the week. And never after the game am I like, oh, man, I wish I had watched that. I'm always like, man, what the fuck ever. It's over now, right? It's not a big deal. Do what I feel that way about the Super Bowl? I couldn't tell you the last time I missed a Super Bowl. I honestly don't know. I've probably seen every one since I was like eight. Uh I don't know if I could just shrug that off and not regret it like I do any other game throughout the year or the playoffs, but I have a feeling like I could probably just watch the commercials and not give a fuck too much. Is it going to be that great of a game? I don't know. It has potential, right? But and and here's where I set my so where I set myself up for failure is already I'm like if I make the sacrifice of not watching the Super Bowl, like this should register on her scale of i love mm. you to like a you know a oh, yeah. 99 out of 100 you know on the right. scale and that should earn me like at least three months of i don't have to do any other acts of service of love because <laughs> you know this one should register way up there and carry a lot of weight for a while i would try to like should buy me some relationship <laughs> credit <laughs> can i can i give you a kidney instead of missing the super bowl <laughs> i think the the super bowl might be higher than that kind of love right sure you can have a fucking kidney right just yeah. don't make me miss the goddamn game yeah yeah that's a tough one man i, I don't envy <laughs> you and i'm i'm glad it's not me i know uh what i will be doing next sunday night for sure yeah and she's giving me an out i mean she's she's been you know i made a i'm like well why don't you see if you can find any you know girls to go with you maybe they would have a better time going to that and i'll just go watch the super bowl somewhere because if we even if we go to a super bowl party somewhere like she's not into football she doesn't care she might like to go for the socializing part but she doesn't really care about the game that it's much. the commercials it yeah. has nothing to do with the game it's all about the commercials i used to, so i went to a couple of super bowl parties we're way the fuck off topic uh and it was guys they weren't really my friends it was kind of like my wife's family and their friends or something and they fucking talked over the whole commercial thing. And then as soon as the commercial was over and everybody, like, they're like, oh, my God, what happened? Was it funny? And I'm just like, you just fucking talked over it. We never heard it, right? <laughs> right. I hate this shit. So I definitely watch, like, football in my own room away from everybody mm-hmm. at this point. I'm an antisocial football watcher. Um, but back to back to what matters here, relationships, not how I relate to, you know, men on a TV. Um, so to, to go back to the concept we started with, right, that, that we might be less in a relationship less of ourselves than we were going into it. Um, some of these concepts I think have been around since when I first got to recovery and probably before that, but that's when I heard them. The whole two dead batteries don't make a spark. Uh, two sickies don't make a welly. Like, I don't know if you've heard these ones before. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're looking for a relationship in recovery, you're shopping in the dented canal. And so I, I get how, and, you know, we've changed a little bit. It's it's 2020. Those are kind of stigmatizing statements at this point in time. And I'm not trying to stigmatize anybody, but they did make a lot of sense early on, too. Right. Like I was not I was I was damaged when I got to recovery. I was damaged my whole life, which is where I I needed the drugs to try to, you know, ease the pain of that damaging Uh, or that trauma as we usually refer to it nowadays. And so once I got off the drugs, I thought I was good. I'm like, I'm good now, right? No more drugs. Life's great. 
And what happened was all that trauma and, and emptiness and, and stuff popped back up. And I just looked for the next best way to feel good, which for me was relationships, right? And there's something very validating about somebody telling you 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 make them whole or you complete them or you validate them, like the, the concept of wound rubbing, right? Like I'll tell you every awful thing there is about me and you tell me every awful thing there is about you. And, and that's Tuesday night. And by Thursday, we're living together. And I'm, you know, parenting your three kids that you had with somebody else. And just that wild concept of like, I just wanted to jump in and be a part of something. And this made me feel good. And then a week later, I got four other girlfriends that I'm texting on the side because one's not enough. And the whole validation aspect of it and trying to fill that void still, I just think early on, it, it was less about the fact that a relationship was a bad idea. And more about the fact that I was using it like a drug. The way I used relationships was a bad idea. Not really that relationships themselves were terrible. Hmm. Yeah. So, and all I could think about, and I don't necessarily agree with this, but I'm going to throw this information out there because it was interesting and I found it interesting. <laughs> so I listened to a guy on a podcast. He wrote a whole, wrote a whole book on, uh, I'm going to probably get the word wrong, polyagamy, polyamory, polyamory, and, you know, this multiple relationships and that basically his, and he was from some university and he wrote this book on his research that he did that says that basically uh, women were the root cause in essence of uh, monogamous relationships because genetically uh, you basically, it gave them a higher chance of having their offspring succeed. It was like a, hmm. what do they call that? It's not genetics. It's uh, like through nature. Like, evolutionary? Yeah, evolutionary. That's the word I'm looking for. Evolutionary. Like it was an evolutionary strategy because, you know, a female by herself trying to take care of young children and raise them up safely was difficult. But when she had the protection and support of a stronger, you know, male that she could keep close by that had a vested interest in those offspring, the chance of success for the offspring was much higher. For men, you know, genetically, uh, their job or not job, their drive was to just produce as many offspring as possible, which would mean looking for multiple partners. And so his you know, theory, whatever you want to call it, is genetically we're driven, you know, for multiple relationships. We're not set up for, you know, monogamous relationships. And that that's mm. an evolutionary strategy came up with by women. So for whatever that's worth, that information is out there. You could go read the guy's book. I wasn't interested in it, so I didn't. Um, <laughs> I love my wife. I love my kids. I'm all right. about the monogamous relationship. If I wasn't, I would end it. You know, that's just the way I look at it because um, that's important to her. So it's important to me. I'm voting you know. polyamory all yeah. the way. Right? I think yeah. that's a great idea. And I still love my wife and don't want to. And he talked about a bunch her. of that. That's what, <laughs> and he talked about a bunch of that. Like he said, he's in, you know, however many, I don't know if he said however many relationships, but he said he's always lived that lifestyle and had women in his life that were okay with that. And, you know, he, it was good. You know, it was great. Um, so <laughs> I gave that, up drugs and I'm now addicted to disappointing yeah, women. <laughs> but, and, and that's kind of where I was going with that. But the point I, get, I think to get back to what you're talking about is more 
you know, as an addict, like there is always that inner drive of like, I'm never satisfied. And, mm. and if one's good, more's better. And if right. this feels good, then, you know, more of it's going to be better. And, you know, do the same thing if I take Tylenol, you know, well, the, right. the bottle says two, but it's me. So I got to take four, you know, it's that idea. And as an addict, that drive is always there. It seems like. Yeah. Um, and the idea that something outside ourselves is going to fix the inside feeling. Right. right. And the truth is, I mean, for most people, I hope, I know for me, like sex is great. Like it feels good. It's enjoyable. It's fun. You know, right. everybody loves it. It's a win-win for everybody. <laughs> so why wouldn't more of it, you know, be even better? But when it gets into the realm of, you know, that emotional dishonesty and where there's lying and manipulation mm. and, and all that is where it gets, where you can start to see it turns to you know something that's not so good right um, it's just like using you know do i think people can go out and smoke weed and drink and be healthy and have a good time sure i think people can do that in a healthy way just like you said your wife she can go out after work and have a couple beers but if it turned into her going out and getting totally shit-faced drunk and then having to lie about where she was or what right. she did or all that stuff then it might be a problem so right. i think you have to look more at the uh behaviors around the particular relationship versus blaming the relationships or blaming, you know, relationships for the problem. I don't even know if I want to go back and tackle the evolutionary uh, theory <laughs> that you posted there. I I'm going to leave it alone for now. In fact, yeah. uh, so back to the idea of these, you know, relationships early in recovery, which I think you're bringing us back to, are they a good idea? Are they not, you know, the, the good old uh, suggestion of stay out of relationships for a year, which, you know, the, the, the greatest joke ever, nobody knows if that works because nobody's ever done it. Um, I tend to not really look at it that way. So I think relationships are, and of course we're, we're more talking about romantic relationships because you always got that guy that raises his hand, I mean, or girl and shares, I can't stay out of relationships for a year. I had to get in relationships with God and relationships with yeah. my sponsor. And I'm like, yeah, we, we fucking get that buddy. We're talking about, right. you know, sex relationships here. Really? Um, I think I don't know so much about staying out of relationships for a year, but I, I, I do think there's a point to look, I can get in relationship with three months clean. Right. I don't know how useful it's going to be for my life. If I'm thinking about long-term, because I don't think I really have a fucking clue of who I am until I've worked steps four through nine, right? So I kind of believe that, hey, look, you want to mess with women or men or whatever early on in recovery? I'm not here to tell you yes or no. I think it's painful. I hope you talk about it with people while you're doing it and going through it. But when you're talking about getting somebody that you actually want to be with for maybe the rest of your life, I would suggest working at least through step nine before you even consider looking at the qualities you want in a relationship partner. And that's, I guess, I don't know. I see these people possibly that, that come into recovery, right? They've dated somebody uh, while they were using the person they're dating wasn't using. Right. And then they come into recovery and they get clean and they're just expecting that relationship to work out. And I'm like, you're going to want something different out of your life and yourself and your partner. By the time you finish these steps, the steps are a change in who the fuck we are right? Just fundamentally at our core. Why, how would we even consider that an old relationship would work in the same way when that person that we related to, we related to from a different place? Hmm. Yeah. Well, I do think people can grow and change in relationships. I mean, in my case, I hope they do. I think 
you know, I got involved with my wife in our relationship. I was very new in recovery and I probably didn't have all the skills that I think I have now or didn't have all the, you know, whatever life experience and emotional development that right. I have now later in life. Um, and she's changed and I've changed. So we've, our relationship has changed and grown over years. Right. So I think it can happen again. It just depends on what skills you're bringing to the table and what, you know, what values you want to put in the front of your relationship, you know, because there are right. a couple core values that are going to be crucial. If you're talking about being in a long-term, you know, committed relationship where it's like, Hey, we're both in this together. Well, there takes some commitment, trust, uh, love, faith, honesty. Like those are a couple of things that need to be there. If those things aren't there, then that relationship isn't really built on anything. Right. Um, with my wife and like, say for, for me personally, like just my story, if you will, you know, when I was using, like I was never in a long-term relationship when I was using maybe six months might've been the longest one. And I just, my parents are people They were married 49 years. I think it was until mm -hmm. my mom passed away. They were always committed. There was no adultery. There was no, you know, they had a great, what looked like a normal loving relationship from everything I could ever tell. They loved each other, cared about each other, respected each other, raised their kids together. So I had this great example of what a healthy, good relationship looked like. For me, when I was using, I was like, I don't fucking want to commit to that. I want to go out and do what I want when I want and have fun when I want. So I wasn't, you know, I never felt a need to have to lie to some girl to get her to stay with me while I went out and cheated on her. You know what I mean? And did that. It just wasn't like that isn't how I saw relationships. I had buddies that did that all the time. You know what I mean? Oh, I got a girlfriend. I'm sleeping with these five other girls and all that stuff. I hate to say, but it's, you know, you go to any men's meeting at any convention and that's the first thing every cool fucking guy that shares about being a man shares about it's so cliche it's disgusting you know what i mean oh i came in and i started sleeping with all these women it's like easy they do it trying <laughs> to ego i know it's terrible <laughs> well and, and here's why because i tend to think most people do that as a brag mm. more than as this humble thing it's like the humble you know, i'm trying to do the humble brag kind of bullshit and it's gross um, I think it's overplayed right. <laughs> to be honest. Um, you know, now that being said, so when I got clean and got into a relationship, you know, a committed relationship with this woman, like I didn't have a history of trying to sleep around and have all these relationships behind her back. And it wasn't, those weren't values that I brought into my relationship experience. Right. You know? So I, I don't know. i never did that stuff. And I always just felt like if I didn't want to be in that marriage or that relationship anymore, I would just fucking leave. Right, right. <laughs> because nobody's keeping me there. You know, I'm not stuck there. I can go do whatever I want. And if I'm not committed and I don't want to be there, then I won't be there anymore. And and so I think uh, where you were starting with that, definitely the disclaimer on any topic uh, of talk in here, especially this one. I've heard the story of people who, you know, he had one week clean, she had a month and a half, and now 20 years later, they're yeah. still happily married, yeah. right? I've heard the story of, I came in here, my, my partners never used, they put up with me through seven years of active addiction, that's when they met me, and somehow we're still together, and it's worked. I've watched a home group member that had two years clean, 
get with a guy who constantly came in and out and chased women and, and, and was the guy who dated five women that you just talked about for sure. Right. But very much like myself, right. We I identified with him and I was like, that fucking loser is never going to change. <laughs> and she got with him, and I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Right. And here they are like seven years later, still really happy. And they have a kid together. Like we never know. Right. Recovery doesn't have a monopoly on growth and change in life. People who aren't in recovery can still grow and change with their recovering partner. Like all these things are possible. I guess when I speak, I speak more about the the 99% of the time I see these things yeah. when they don't fucking work out. Like if you dated somebody while you were in active addiction and they weren't, and then you come to recovery, what the fuck is wrong with them that they wanted to date a using addict? Like there's something actively wrong with these people. I think like, that's my belief. I have no, I would never date a using addict. I can't, I can't picture that in my head. Like what's attractive about somebody who can't show up for dates and like constantly steals my money. I don't know. Nothing. Maybe they're the adult children of alcoholics or the codependents or whatever. Right. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, relationships are hard. Like it's, they are difficult. If you look at, you know, non addict, marriage success rates mm. and non-addict affairs and all that stuff. I mean, right. those numbers are very demoralizing. Like if you looked at that, you would think, why the fuck is anybody going out and getting married? Like it more than half the time never works. Like right. why are all these people and people are lining up to go do it. You know, there's no shortage of marriage venues, even in a little County like this, there's a fucking marriages every weekend. You know, right. people just can't wait to sign that agreement that, most of the time is going to fail. <laughs> I think it's the concept of it, right? Yeah. I think we're in love with the idea of these, I don't want to say fairy tales or, or, or concepts or, you know, maybe in, heard in love with the idea of being in love. Like I've heard it explained like that to me uh, from my experience. I would say I was at one point in love with the idea of being in love, right? And what that really translated to later on was that I have like a, a sex and love addiction where I just crave <laughs> this outside attention to make me feel whole, right? There's something that doesn't feel whole inside of me and chasing these relationships and, and chasing people to want me does it mm-hmm. right. And it wasn't in the end, it wasn't even, I didn't even want the sex with them. Right. I just like, Hey, will you let me now that I've convinced you to let me, I don't even right. want to anymore. Yeah. Right. It was just all about getting that validation. And, uh, you know, there's some meetings out there for that. They talk about that. They come up with some, I tell you what, so I, I've, I went to some meetings around that topic for quite a while and, and I don't anymore only cause there's none in this area. Cause I do think they're very useful for healthy relationships. Um, but a buddy of mine still goes and we talk and he's like, he stayed out of relationships for two years, which I think probably will fuck with the brain of anybody that lived like me early in addiction, like out of relationships for two years yeah. no sex no masturbation two fucking years are you crazy right i'd have told you you lost your mind why why live right um but we talk all the time and, and so he did and he's actively getting back to dating now now that he feels you know like he's in a better place in a different place and just the the strangeness of being content living with yourself after two years and now i'm not looking for a relationship to fill anything anymore right, right. i'm looking for like I, I'm not, so I always felt stuck. I'm like, Oh, we like each other. It feels good. Even if there's some shit about you, I don't like, I can't get rid of you. Cause this, this is really working for me. And he's coming from it from a spot of like, 
I don't fucking need you. I've been fine for the last two years. Like you're either good for my life or you're not. And you can go if you're not, I don't care. But then the, the rules around it that he sort of has to follow to make, keep it healthy, like, and not go crazy with it is I can only text you like two times a day. And that idea is weird to me, right? We can only go on one date a week. I'm like, Whoa, like these are some pretty stringent rules. And I, I just, I do think they lend themselves to healthiness. But I look and I'm like, who the fuck is able to do that? Right? I don't know people that are capable of that <laughs> Not shit. Me. That's, That's pretty yeah. impressive. Yeah. And so I, I just look like, what the fuck are we doing when we're dating nowadays and, and relating? It's nothing like that. Are we all unhealthy? Like, Yeah. And that's super admirable. I mean, like I obviously my situation played out the way it is. And I don't know that I would necessarily change it. Um, I got into the relationship I was in for, you know. Uh, I had a couple months clean and ended up in a relationship and I wasn't some intentional. Like, I don't feel like I set out to find it. I mm. feel like it just it happened naturally. Right. And so there's a funny story. And I'll say this for all my non, you know, belief in God and how I talk about all that, you know, I don't know if I believe in God and fate and all that stuff. So I first met my wife. I had come into recovery. I was 19, I believe. Um, and I had come into recovery and I was in for a couple months and I met her back then and she was married at the time. She was going through a divorce with this guy and, and her and I had kind of hung out. We were friends, but we didn't date or anything. We weren't, there was no kind of romantic relationship. Um, but I had said, like, I knew then that that was going to be the person that I was going to marry. Now, I don't know if that's one of those, like the secret I fucking willed it into existence kind of bullshit or whatever, but I just, and for whatever reason in my head, I'm like, I, that's the person I want to marry. And I wasn't a committed relationship person. I wasn't interested in getting married for the longest time. I was like, I'm never getting married. I'm going to just be single and do what I want and have my own free life. How could you not Um, say ready to mingle after that? Yeah. Single and ready to mingle. (laughs) Um, And you know, then I got clean and my life changed and I, she was still in recovery. And so we met and, you know, we ended up married, <laughs> like, right. fulfilled that reality, um, that fantasy. And, you know, I don't, hmm, I don't know if things would have been different if I had not been in relationships for a year or two. I mean, I, I guess you never know what coulda, woulda, shoulda. Right. Um, but I just know that a lot of the skills that I needed to succeed in what I'll call a healthy relationship came from what I learned in recovery. Mm. And uh, the deeper I learn those skills, the better I am able to be at my relationship. You know, now I'm at a point in my life where when my relationship starts to get a little weird or a little uncomfortable, I want to talk about it. I think for the longest time in, in, you know, my romantic relationship, I thought, if things just don't naturally and spontaneously happen, you know, then they're not meant to be. And what I mean by that is like if we didn't just end up in bed every night, you know, making love or if we didn't just end up on these long walks along the pier, you know, I guess I just thought that shit would magically happen somewhere. I didn't realize that. No, it takes effort. And sometimes mm-hmm. it means I have to do some shit that I don't want to do. Sometimes it means I have to sit up late at night and talk to her about her problems when I really don't want to, you right. know, when all I want to do is watch some fucking TV and go to bed. 
you know, I have to make some sacrifices. If, if I want all the good things that come along with this relationship, I have to put some work in too. Um, and I think a lot of people miss that part. You know mm. what I mean? They just think, well, we love each other. So all these things are spontaneously and magically just supposed to happen. And you're supposed to know what my needs are without me having to tell you. You're supposed to be able to read my mind and know, you know, what I want before I ask. And, you know, right. that sounds great, but it just doesn't seem to be reality. Uh, we're going to have a rare moment where we agree here. Uh, I think you are completely right. So I, my concept of love was that like, I met someone and these fucking butterflies and nausea (laughs) took over my stomach and I was just so infatuated with them. And from there on, that was just going to happen. Right. And if that all the time, and it would, it wouldn't take any work. Like it wasn't work to go out of my way to, to take my wife, my girlfriend to dinner at that point. Like I couldn't wait to spend more fucking time with her. Right. And I just thought when that went away, that meant I needed a new one. Uh, That one obviously didn't work. Right. Right. Like it was supposed to last forever. It didn't, it lasted six months. Now you got to go away so I can try again. Um, and I think I definitely missed the point in that. Like it, it is effort in a relationship. And and I don't think that feeling is love anymore. I don't believe that. I think it might be novelty. It might be infatuation. It might be lust. I don't know what the hell you want to call it, but I definitely don't think it's love. Um, for me today, relationships are a lot of work, right? They're, they're the things you just talked about. But I, I don't think, even though I can tell you that I feel loved when I'm thought of, I think I feel more love inside of myself when I do or am capable of doing something for my partner that I didn't believe was possible, right? When I'm able to show up for them in a selfless way that I didn't even think I had in me, and 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 most of my experience shows that it's not what I do, that makes me feel more loving inside than anything anybody else does, right? So I just think to me today, love is much less any kind of feeling that somebody gives to me or produces inside of me, it's more of how I live is how loving I feel, right? I notice it more with my kids. For some reason, uh, it's been easier to break through that that barrier with them. And, you know, when my daughter ran a race and came in, uh, I don't even remember at this point, if it was second or third, that's how little it mattered, right? But I, my reaction is, you just need to train harder and we'll get first next time, Right. And that's the guy I was raised to be from my father. And uh, so what I was able to do when she came up in the stands that day was just give her this big, juicy fucking hug and say how proud I was of her for running so hard. Right. And um, I felt more loving in that instant than I ever have in my life, probably. And it's those little kind of moments that I've had. And I've had a couple with my wife that just that's what makes me feel love. Not anything anybody else does or any time she thinks of me or, or mentions something that she's going to do ahead of time. It's when I live it. That's when I feel love in a relationship, when I'm invested in doing the work. Yeah. And that's another one of those things I think, you know, gets lost sometimes when we talk about spiritual living and living spiritual principles. Um, we think that they're supposed to be feelings and that's you know, if we're, I don't know how to say this. If we just think them, then that we can think them into existence. Mm. And that's not how it works. We bring them to existence through our actions. And by, as you said, by practicing love in my relationships, I 
you know, my awareness grows for love and I become aware of how other people are loving me in return. Mm. If all I'm doing is looking for love and I'm not giving it out, then I'm not finding it, you know, because I'm looking for something to be filled. You know, I'm looking for some. So you mean to say that old song, looking for love in all the wrong places, wasn't about like going to the bar or the street corner. It was more about the fact that I was looking for it outside of myself instead of inside. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds good. Yeah. (laughs) Um, How did he know? Right. But, you know, love is one of those words, too, where there's so many different meanings to it. You know, when we when we look at love you know the way we love different people is different the way we love friends is different than the way we love our kids which Mm. is different than the way that we love our spouse and you know the what my expectation on my love relationship with my wife is very different than my expectation on my love relationship with you Mm. you know like what i what i'm looking for or what i think makes that a loving relationship is going to be different And so in romantic relationships, um, there's stages of love that you go through. And if you read any of these love books, I believe it's in the five love languages. There's a couple of different relationship books I've read over the years. I can't remember all the names, but the five love languages is a big one. Um, They talk about, you know, this infatuation stage that we get in when we get into new relationships Mm. and that, you know, we become... um, in essence, what you're saying, like we become this person that is just totally looking to give to the other people. And we're totally willing to put aside, you know, our wants and our desires and our needs to just give all this love to this person. And they talk about that stage lasting about two years. Um, that, that, <laughs> They're you know, overestimating. That's, yeah. <laughs> if you're an addict, it's like four days. But right. you know, like, <laughs> But, you know, it says, I guess that's an average. And I don't know what that comes from. This is what they say in the book. But they talk about that infatuation stage lasting about two years. And that's where during that stage, like you'll ignore all those like warning signs of the bad characteristics of this person. You'll blow Mm. off all the shit that they're doing, you know, and make excuses and rationalizations and justifications and then once you get through that romantic love stage or that infatuation stage, like reality starts to set in and you start to be like, wait a minute, this son of a bitch is out running the streets every night of the week. You know, right. before that, it's this great quality, like, oh, he's hustling, trying to make a living and he's <laughs> such a hard worker. And, right. you know, and then after a while, like reality starts to set in and there's a, a different kind of like long term, uh, more, uh, of uh, less infatuation, more realistic form. I'm, I'm going to call it realistic form of love. Um, when we got married, the, the pastor at our church described it as what's called agape love, which is Greek. I guess it probably comes from the Bible because he was a very Christian person. And, um, and so what they mean by agape love, um, basically it's the highest form of love or charity. And it was, you know, the way they described it, it's the way that God loved man. Um, but it's basically like unconditional love and commitment. So, you know, we get past that sort of infatuation stage. And if we're lucky enough to make it through that, you know, and, and work through our issues, that's where the things like the five love languages come in. Now, all of a sudden, 
you know, I need to really connect with you in a deep way and figure out, okay, what does it take to keep filling your love tank? What does it take to keep meeting your love needs? And then to be able to say to you, hey, here are my love needs. This is what I need. And this is what I expect you to do for me. And it's this, you know, reciprocational relationship where we both, again, ideally in an ideal situation, we're bringing out the best in each other. Right. The internet's ruined me. You talked about a Greek word for the highest love. And all I could think of was like uh, trips to Greece and and, (laughs) uh, just some not so savory ideas that I've been exposed to. Um, Now, I think I think that's incredible. I just I guess looking back at my relationships in recovery and, and, you know, throughout my life and just where I was coming from with it, which was how good it made me feel. Right. Like, and I refer to, uh, so I had a previous time with some clean time and some step work and I relapsed from that, but I I refer to the relationship I had then as like that relationship became my higher power. Really. Um, when we were doing well, I like floated through the work day. It was no effort at all to get out of bed in the morning, right? All the work that I had to do was not stressful. It was just like some, like it was like Bob Marley music playing, right? Birds were chirping, fucking everything was great. And then when we weren't doing well, I spent all the same time I would have obsessed and compulsed about getting another another drug or drink or whatever. I spent that figuring out how I could fix us. Mm. And like, it was just mind-blowing to look back and see how closely that resembled my drug use really right that the drug was my higher power the relationship was my higher power how i used them in the exact same way to try to change the way i felt in the moment right and just the concept i think of my take on relationships was i use them the way i use drugs i want to change the way i feel and again i I I think a lot of my recovery is just getting to some accepting point of it's okay to feel. There's no bad feelings. They're just feelings. Feel them all. They're all part of it. And that's a hard, that's like the hardest thing in the world. Like it's still hard for me to go through a loneliness or a pain or a hurt Mm. or a rejection and think, yay, I'm feeling cool. And I don't know why that is, but that I think is the driving force that makes me chase relationships or validation or, or anything. Yeah. And I think, you know, sex relationships, especially become, uh, whatever you want to call it, like the easiest socially acceptable thing. Once you put down drugs, you know, because if you're out, you know, sleeping with a bunch of chicks, all your buddies are going to think you're cool. You know what I mean? And it's, you know, socially it's totally, you know, fine and great and whatever. So, and it's legal. There's nothing illegal about it. Um, so it's married. so easy. To, yeah. Though. Yeah. Unless you're, is it illegal? I think so. Isn't it? Isn't, it adultery? Sure. isn't that illegal and like grounds for divorce? Yeah. But is it, well, I don't know. Can I don't you get know We need to call a lawyer. Yeah. We need a lawyer for this. <laughs> I need to know. I might um, be in trouble. <laughs> so it's easy to fall into that trap you know of of like well this feels good and it's fine and it's you know i can do this and maybe not even recognize that it is just another form of addiction it's it's another thing that's you know a thing outside of myself that i'm using to validate myself and make myself feel better and give myself that rush of like say adrenaline and and how good it feels um so sitting here thinking you know back for a minute and i guess a lot of people maybe fall into this when they first enter recovery, I 
maybe didn't because I had the experience before I entered recovery was that all through my using, like all my relationships were totally just self-centered and self-serving, you know, and that's why I never stayed in long-term relationships, you know, because I never found some chick that would just tolerate all my bullshit all the time, you know, is basically what it boils down to. I mean, I'm sure if I found someone that wanted to tolerate it, it would have probably been longer, but you know, it was like, I only invested enough energy to be like, all right, what are you doing for me? What do you have to offer me? What are you giving me? Oh, nothing. Okay. Well then I'm out of here. I, you know, right. cause I wasn't into like, I wasn't trying to find someone that I had to share my drugs with or fucking answer <laughs> to what decisions I was making with my life with, right. or, you know, so my relationships, up until I found recovery are we're all just totally self-serving and totally about me and what I got out of them. And so none of them were really fulfilling, you know, right. <laughs> like none of them and obviously not sustainable because mm. people get sick of that shit pretty quick. Um, yeah. And I think having that experience, maybe when I, when I came into, well, like I say, I think having the example of a good loving relationship of my parents helped me to know, kind of have an idea of what was healthy and what was not healthy and now we're back to disagreeing right so uh my old sponsor definitely uh we talked many times so i uh, not on a humble brag type billy don't judge me right but i let me just clarify not everyone that does it is a humble brag it's just that's the way it comes off a lot of times like i mean i will say the women that i did cheat with were really hot (laughs) um so i i struggled with uh the concept of of monogamy and and maybe still do in my head a little bit and i don't know if my wife's gonna kill me we have some open rules about our stuff and have for a long time they're not really used as often anymore um they used to be more so early on i think we're both older and just too lazy to (laughs) do a lot of it honestly for for my end maybe um but so i my sponsor would always say, I just don't fucking understand it. He's like, it's just not my life. I like being with one person. I don't like all the chaos of the sleeping around kind of lifestyle. I don't get it. Right. He just could not even fathom what in me made me do that. Right. And I don't, I don't know what made him and I different in that area. Cause for me, I couldn't fathom why he wanted to not do (laughs) it. Right. Like what makes you want to come home and eat ice cream and sit in your underwear and watch Dr. Phil. Like, I don't, that just doesn't do it for me. Um, but I, I had the, I had the same example you did. My parents were married for 28 or 29 years before my father died. Like they didn't stray or, or I had the same thing sitting right in front of me, a loving monogamous relationship for the most part with some chaos, of course. Um, and that's just not what I got. And I don't know what makes you and I different, but I don't think what makes you what you are in that area, the fact that you had that example, because I feel like I had that example too, and didn't go that way. Um, so I don't know what the fuck it is, right? Like, I don't know what, it's the same thing. So my wife, right? Is she an addict? Ah, Not self-proclaimed for sure. Is she truly I don't know, but she does like to shop a little bit with abandon and buy things impulsively, right? I don't know that that's addiction, but for whatever makes her do that in that area, she has no interest to do that with alcohol, right? Right? Me, I have a huge problem with drugs and alcohol if I pick them up, but 
if you ask me if I have an issue gambling, not fucking really. It just doesn't yeah. do it for me. I don't know why. I don't know why that particular one doesn't. Yeah. Right. And but it's I, funny. We just, Jen and I like, had that conversation last night. I said the same thing. Like, I don't know why gambling just doesn't do it for me anyway. Yeah. But I get why it does it for some people. Mm-hmm. Right. I totally get that. I just, I don't know why we all individually have our things that work and things that don't. When I got clean, dude, sex relationships i went from smoking crack to eating crack right it was like i just it was definitely a huge fixation for me when i got uh when i got here and like obviously for you that never sounds like it was a thing for you you were like i'm in a relationship this works for me and you probably had some other area where where the disease might have manifested and i why like what makes us have our little certain areas is weird yeah and i mean a couple things to say one I don't know. I mean, it's not that I've never thought about stepping out of my relationship or that, you know, this relationship's not giving me what I need. So I'm going to go get it somewhere else. I mean, obviously, you know, those ideas have crossed my head, Um, whether they've just been passing thoughts or lust or I don't know where they come from, per se. You know, as an addict, I'm kind of powerless over the way that I think. Um, But I guess I've just always made the decision that the commitment that I had in my marriage to be monogamous you know, was, I don't know. I'm, I'm a strongly committed person. I do pretty well with commitments that I make. Right. I don't know why that value is particularly important to me. I, it just is. And so I try to really be a person that does what they say, you know, um, integrity, I think is the word for that. Ugh. Um, I felt just as powerless in, in my, in my relationships and, and choosing to sleep with women, honestly, yeah. as I did with drugs. Right. right. Like, I slept with women that were, and I'm not trying to judge or put anybody down, but I've slept with some women that were way less attractive than the woman I was with. And then I really said to myself beforehand, I don't really want to fucking do this. And I couldn't stop myself. Yeah, well, And that's and the like, problem. Ugh. When I'm acting in addiction, though, I'm not acting in integrity. Like, uh, you right. know, I had all the same values when I was using, you know, or at least... I would have said those were my values, but I didn't live by any of them. Right. If you'd asked me to sit down and write a list of what I thought was important, you know, again, growing up in a somewhat healthy household and going to a Catholic school as a kid, like I was taught, you know, what was sort of quote unquote morally right and what the right way to live was and honesty and, you know, all those things. So I on paper could have told you what they were. And in fact, for me, not living with that integrity is what caused a lot of the internal hatred and internal, you know, it's why I didn't like myself. I knew the way I should be living and I wasn't living that way at all. So we can be, you know, whatever, drug free, abstinent free, and still be a person that lives without integrity. Mm. You know, like that's integrity is a, a value or, or a, I'll say a spiritual principle that we learn in recovery. Oh, this is my value. So this is how I have to live in accordance to that value. Because sometimes the way I want to live totally contradicts what I'll tell you what my values are. Because what I want to do in the moment is going to give me that instant gratification. Mm. It's going to make me feel good. It's going to, I'm going to be happy about it or whatever. Right. But it, it conflicts with what I would tell you that my moral value is. The craziest part of that was, and I thought of this earlier while we were talking, early on when I was doing more of that behavior and there was more of the the lies to the partners and lies to the different women and everything... I was unable, even through step work, to see how that was causing guilt and shame in my life, right? It was like leading me to the same cycle that that the drug use did of doing things to get what I wanted that caused me to need more of what I wanted, right? And I, 
I could not see that early on at all. And I don't know what had me blinded to that and you able to see that like you wanted to do something different. And the truth is, I mean, there's nothing wrong with people that want to be in polyamory and open relationships and do all that stuff. Like, I don't try to moralize that that's wrong. I say, hey, man, if you're all about it, go for it. Do it. You know, where it becomes... I think an issue is when it gets, again, it's not the behavior itself that's the problem. It's the things that go along with it, you know. Are you doing a bunch of lying and manipulation and, you know, telling people things they want to hear even though you know it's not true? It's like when you get into those areas, that's where it becomes hurtful and harmful because you're now, you know, you're causing harm to other people to get Uh, what you want. It's funny. You're bringing up, so my old therapist from years back said, it doesn't fucking matter what you do as long as both parties are consenting yeah. adults and everybody's happy and getting enjoyment out of it. It's great. And yet my new therapist uh, is really taken aback by the whole polyamory idea. And, and it kind of tells me maybe I she she really hopes that I see something different. Uh, I'll say that. And so it's just interesting to see the different people's takes on it. Right. Hmm. And not that I think one's more right than the other. I think both takes are kind of right in their own way, but it's interesting to see people that I look to for suggestions and, and advice and maybe admire a little bit. And I, to see all these different sides of different, differing opinions. And it's like, damn, how can we all think so different? Yeah. I try not to moralize people to death. You know what I mean? Like my morals and values. Well, one, they're mine and they're really only mine today because Mm. a couple of years from now they could very much change right. you know what i mean i mean god forbid something happened to my wife or we do get divorced i mean i don't know maybe my maybe i would become polyamorous and not care anymore <laughs> about monogamous relationships right. i mean i don't know I, I really don't and i'm not i don't try to put myself in some kind of moral cage you know that's going to stifle my ability to like live free and enjoy my life you know i don't i think not to get off too far, but I think that's what religion does to too many people. You know, it puts mm. them in this moral cage that is like, if you don't do this, this, and this, you're going to hell and you're going to die. And then they put themselves in that cage and they're miserable and they hate their lives. Right. So then they turn around and try to enforce that same moral prison onto other people and then hate them just as much because they hate their own life. But that's a whole other right. side note. <laughs> um but yeah, if people, you know, if, if you're open and honest and want to be in 15 relationships and they all know that you're in 15 relationships, fucking have at it, you know, <laughs> enjoy it, you know, have fun. I, if you got that kind of energy to invest, go for it. Right, <laughs> you know, there's right. nothing wrong with that. Um, in my particular relationship, I have, you know, thought about that over the years with like my wife. You know, I used to think, and I don't know if I think as much now or she's changed or I've changed, but I used to think like, she is incredibly emotionally needy. She needs more than I have to give. And at times I thought either like, I don't necessarily have to leave. Like it doesn't have to be someone else to fill that role. Maybe I can just do as much as I can and she can get the rest of what she needs somewhere else, Mm. you know? And to be quite honest, the only thing that stopped me from saying that is my fucking ego. It's like, I don't want to say that I'm not enough. Right. It's hard for me to admit that I might not be enough to fulfill her needs. Because I want to fulfill all her needs. I don't want her to need someone else. That somehow reflects badly on me, you know, to myself. Like, And I don't know that that's right. true. I think you just took us right back to the relationship topic that frequently we do put so much stock in a relationship that we are looking for one person to fulfill all our needs. Um, and that can be 
I believe, pretty unhealthy for a lot of us. When I want one person to fit everything I need them to be in my life, because that's what happens for me a lot. I get in a relationship, all of a sudden I forget I have friends. I don't see anybody else. I don't have time for anything else. I'm in this relationship 24 hours a day, seven days a week. This is it, right? We're all in. Um, and I'm looking for that person to be everything. And, oh, I want to be able to share my hopes, my dreams, my fears, my my concerns. Well, how the hell can I do it? Like, even, even just from a very practical, rational standpoint, how in the fuck can I share my concerns about you with you, right? right. So uh, just in that level. But, yeah, nobody's everything to everyone, right? And I do need some people over here. And, and generally, I can get a lot of what I need from platonic relationships, I guess you want to call them, right? But I, I don't know. So I, what I'm really curious, I guess, and because we're getting to a point where we are going to have to shut up at some point. Um, what kind of blanket suggestions do you think for the early recovery portion relationship or maybe just healthy getting into relationship suggestions are there? Do they have like, are there certain ideas that we just should focus on early on that that maybe we don't so much or, or maybe this information isn't given out in meetings? Uh, well, I mean, just me personally, like the number one most important, um, what I think everyone ignores is safe sex and mm. stop having fucking kids, you know, that wow. you're not ready for and not prepared for. And right. you're in a relationship for three months and the sex is great. So you become, you know, totally irresponsible and have some baby that doesn't deserve to be in that situation. Right. Um, I know that's not exactly kind of what you were going no, for, but I think so. that is... No one talks about it, you right. know, but we all know, you know, and I hate to use this cliche, but it's like the girl in the halfway house who's been around for six, seven months and all of a sudden she's pregnant. You know what I mean? Right. By the dude who's in the other halfway house who, you know, they haven't even fucking figured out what they're doing yet. Right. And it's great that I mean, I have no problem with them being in a relationship, but now you've sort of wreaked some collateral damage that, you know, it, <laughs> We hope that it works out great, but the odds are that it's not. Right. The odds are very much stacked against you. That's a totally difficult situation. But more, I think, what I would consider uh, advice on the other side of relationships is trying to be, trying to open up. What I wish I had done early on was been more open communication-wise about my feelings what I was looking for in the relationship, my desires, like those kind of things. Like it's, I'm really good. I love to talk obviously about what I think and <laughs> no. what I think about this subject and that subject and give my fucking opinion on all this stuff. But it, when it comes to talking about how I really feel, how I feel about my relationship with you or my relationships emotionally, like emotional communication is really difficult for me. Mm. And I think that's key in a if you're talking about a long-term committed relationship, like that emotional communication is key because when our emotional needs aren't being met is when we start stepping out on our relationships. Right. I, I think for me, one of the things that I learned that was really important for me that I was not aware of for sure early on is, is the level of honesty I needed. Right. First, uh, and this kind of, look, I can only, I'm only capable of so much depending on how much recovery I have at any given point. Cause I was only capable of so much honesty at any point. Right. I think that's a lot of our first step. We talk about needing to be honest, but first comes like the self honesty, right? Like just me realizing who the fuck I am and what I'm doing and thinking and feeling. And then the brutal honesty of saying that, whether that's 
nice to hear or not sometimes, right? Not not brutal as in I'm saying it uh, to hurt people, right? Because honesty without compassion is abuse to some extent. I, I agree with that. But I do need to be honest about where I am, even if I think people aren't going to like it all the time. Um, in a compassionate way, of course. And then the third step of that honesty for me that I really was lost doing was, so I got to a point where with these other women, it was like, okay, I'm not going to lie to get what I want from them. Right. And so I didn't lie in words. I was clear in words like, Hey, I don't want any more out of this. I don't want a relationship. I only want sex. Are you okay with that? Right. It was real blunt to the point, but my actions definitely misled (laughs) people. Right. Like I spend every day, all day texting you for a week and a half. And then once you give me what I want, I'm almost non-existent because I was putting in all my actions said, Hey, I care. I'm here. Right. And then my word said I didn't. So I thought since I gave the wordly disclaimer, right. I was free of, of shame. And like just that amount of honesty is what I needed. I needed to be honest with myself about what am I really doing? Honest in words, but then I also needed my actions to follow those words. Right. And, and so that I could be clear with people. And at least in my pursuit of learning and understanding what relationships were for me, I wasn't hurting people at the same time. Cause I, I, I hurt a lot of people, right. Yeah. Myself included, but I hurt a lot of people and I regret that. Yeah. And, and some of those, I mean, honesty is definitely one of those that it's important in all our relationships. Like it's just one of those spiritual right. principles, you know, we talk about in our readings, honesty, open-mindedness and willingness, you know, those are things that like, those are always good principles to live by in your life in general, you know, and right. in, in relationships, I think honesty is important. Commitment's important. Um, empathy, compassion, understanding, patience, tolerance, like those are principles that are going to help in any relationship. But I think what makes, you know, a romantic or your, you know, one-to-one partner, whatever you want to call that relationship um, I think there is an emotional bond there, an emotional intimacy there that is needed to keep that uh, the primary relationship, I guess you would say. Right. I would also suggest for anybody that's maybe a little earlier on or maybe just getting out of a relationship, I don't know that there's a certain amount of time or a certain amount of steps that make you healthy and ready for it, right? But if my fixation is on getting in a relationship, where my fixation isn't is on a relationship with myself, right? I'm not learning more about me when I spend all my time thinking about who could I possibly hook up with uh, at this meeting, right? And so I would just encourage people, if that's where your fixation is, to question why, right? Why do I feel like I need this outside thing so much? What is it about it? And really encourage people to, to fucking get a relationship with you, Right. And I hate to talk into you terms. Right. I want to get a relationship with me. That has been the best thing I've done in recovery is learn who the fuck I am and try to do it on purpose. And that didn't happen when I was chasing relationships. And what my first sponsor told me when I got into my relationship early in recovery, because I think I had four months uh, at that point, he just said, you know, make sure you don't allow that relationship to become your higher power that, you know, anything that you put in front of your recovery, you will lose. Right. And so when I went into that relationship, I didn't cut back meetings. I didn't cut back step work. I didn't cut back my service commitments. Like all those things were still a main focus and a main priority in my early recovery. Um, And I didn't allow that relationship 
to give me the justification to dismiss all those things. Mm. And I think that was key in a, my recovery, you know, my staying in recovery and B just building some of the basic tools that I needed to be someone who was worth being in a relationship with. <laughs> right. Right. And don't get in a relationship with somebody in your fucking home group for God's <laughs> sakes. Worst idea ever. I did that and hated my home group afterwards. My wife was in my home group. Oh my God. <laughs> I did it. And then we broke up and then it was like, Oh, she ended up switching home groups, but we were in the same home group for a long time. Uh, I guess it works when you're, I don't know. It didn't work for me. Don't we do were it. still in that new love phase. We <laughs> oh, were still yeah. in the, the infatuation phase. Well, we did. Well, we were in the infatuation phase and then we weren't in the infatuation phase. We were broke up and it was yeah. terrible, right? Uh, well, she, and my wife had whatever, 12 years clean, I think. So I probably just gave into whatever she said. Like, uh, oh yeah, she knows. I mean, I don't know shit. I'm just <laughs> fucking four months clean. What do I know? Right. Oh, we didn't even talk about 13 stepping and, and how. Yeah. So I just the one little thing I do want to say about it. Uh, it it's kind of sad as, as much as we can joke about it. It is a little sad that we've given yeah. it this title of 13th step, which kind of makes it funny like and okay. Joke, yeah. When it's... It's kind of predatory, oh, right? Yeah, it's very and predatory. So I don't want to. We'll save that for part two, I guess, since <laughs> we're running out of time. But uh, just be wary when you get in. Get with people who really have only your best interest at heart, because it's good for you, not because there's a way to get in your pants. Um, yeah, and and that. I think one of the big suggestions we hear, at least in our fellowship, is that you know stick with people of the same sex, allow them to help you in your decision making. Um, again, no one in my male support group ever said, don't get in a relationship or don't get involved right. with her or talk to me out of it. They just tried to give me some helpful advice and some tools and support so that if shit did go sideways, you know, I wasn't going to use. I get confused about the the men with the men, women with the women thing in this day and age because we're not all the way we think we all are supposed to be. We're not all cisgender, right? We don't oh, okay. all just like the same or the opposite sex and so i stick with people who aren't going to be dangerous for for you right like yeah. if i think i might want to fuck my sponsor i should probably get a different sponsor yeah. or network right like <laughs> yeah. that's just not gonna work um so yeah that's uh that's what we got for this week uh on, on part one of the billion parts of relationships um if you're on instagram or twitter our our links are in the show notes if you want to be a part of this we got an email of course and you can leave messages on this podcast specifically to give us your ideas. We'd love to hear them. Have a good week. That wraps up this episode. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your preferred platform. If you have ideas for topics you'd like us to talk about or just want to add an opinion, contact us through Anchor, email us at recoverysortof at gmail.com, or find us on Twitter at recoverysortof.